Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with a Locked On Podcast Network host. Today, we'll stop in Atlanta to speak with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks about all of the moves that Atlanta has made in free agency. We'll go to LA to speak with Charles Mockler of Locked On Clippers about whether the Clippers actually got better this offseason. And then we go to Milwaukee to talk with Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks about the fires and the misfires of the Bucks off-season. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the Locked On AFL Podcast. And I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We are, what, a few days away here from training camps beginning. We Free agency is basically over now. So it's time for us to take stock of some teams, work out what they did, whether they got better, whether they got worse. And we're going to talk to a few hosts across the country to do that. So let's get to it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Hawks Podcast, Brad Rowland is here with me, Brad. It's been a pretty eventful couple of weeks for the Hawks, starting off with pick number six in the NBA draft, but uh, making some real splashes in free agency. Uh, this team's going for it, I guess. It seems that way, to be sure. There was plenty of buzz before the offseason that they were going to try to improve, but they even went further than I thought they were going to. So yeah, it's definitely a time to win for the Hawks. So you know, we know they bring in Danilo Gallinari. They bring in Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn. They get uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, one of the top free agents in the class as well as a restricted free agent. All of these guys come in uh, on the back of drafting on Yekara Kongu, on the back of drafting DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish in the top 10 last year. So there's a, there's a lot of players on this on this squad. Now, let's start with Gallinari. Um, yeah, there was worries about the fit. Oh, he, how's he going to play at the three? Um, yeah, he can't do that. And then Travis Schlenk on uh, a couple of calls came out and basically just said, well, no, we talked to his reps and we're paying him $20 million to be a backup. Do you believe that? Kind of would be the way that I would frame that. It's interesting to me that Schlenk um, referenced those comments that you just talk, you talked about. Those were on a member call, a season ticket holder call, and he was less candid with the media this week, um, which raised my eyebrows. I, do th- I think that you know coming in, I agree he's a four. I think most people do at this point in time. It wouldn't stun me if they tried it at the three at some point. But even then, it's just kind of to try it. I think they probably know that he's more of a four and they're just kind of making the splash to make it. That's definitely interesting as an approach, but they do have John Collins. And as long as he's on the team, Gallinari is not going to be the starting power forwards. I think that's pretty clear. So I don't know. They'll probably try multiple combinations and Lloyd Pierce is going to have his hands full for sure. Well, that's that's a question we're going to get to a little bit later in terms of Lloyd Pierce and his uh, and his hands being full. But the Gallinari signing, the drafting of Anyeka Kongwu, the trading for Clint Capella last year. If you were John Collins, I reckon you'd feel a little bit unloved at this point. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I think that there it's at least possible that. They're setting this all up to maybe get a bargain extension with him and that they still value him to some degree. I think they're not going to try to give him away or anything like that. But if you're his agent, if you're him, you can't be thrilled. There's no, there's nothing about this that makes you very excited, even if they're going to play him a lot. And I think if he's, if he's on the team, he's going to play quite a bit. He'll get his numbers playing alongside Troy Young. But he went from clearly the number two player on the team to a guy who has lots of crowded stuff around him now. And the Hawks need to do something at center. Um, it was not a huge secret. They were going to go out and 
do something at center dating back to February when they, when they traded for Clint Capella. But sort of the overlapping nature of all of those moves with two big investments at center plus Gallinari, and you still have a guy like DeAndre Hunter there who could play some four as well. There's just a lot of bodies, and you just can't be too happy if you're John Collins. So what do you think the chances are that they trade him this season? I think it's possible. Uh, you know, Schlenk said, and you can't necessarily believe this, but that they're going to go in the season with what they have now. That's what I probably expect to happen because it's just so close. The lead time is just so narrow here to make a deal. But if you told me that they traded him before February, I, I wouldn't be stunned by that either. They don't have to, but considering he'll be hitting the market, if they don't feel like he's value, that's a question that everybody has and that I have as well. Is they, you know, what's the number for John Collins? Would they be willing to pay him? They can still extend him in the next month, but um, it certainly shouldn't surprise anyone if they move on. I think they probably don't have to absolutely do it. That's sort of the disconnect that I would point out is that a lot of people are just saying, oh, John Collins is gone. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think it's definitely possible, maybe even likely that he's still on the team in a year, but it's no longer a, a certainty by any means. They, they, they could certainly trade him in the next few months. If you want to talk about players that maybe the Hawks, uh, or maybe players that, that feel that the Hawks hate them, what about the investment in the number four pick of DeAndre Hunter, the starting shooting guard of Kevin Herter, who are both probably going to be on the bench this year. Like how how does these, bringing these parts in, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich will likely start over Herter. You would imagine that you know, Gallinari said he's coming off the bench, but Cam Reddish probably has the leg up to start over Hunter at the three. Maybe it's Hunter there, but regardless, his role is going to be cut after one year, it feels like. How do you think that sort of um, morale or potential morale hit is going to be handled by Lloyd Pierce in this rotation? Because it's undoubted that Reddish, Herter, Hunter... Collins, at least three of those guys are going to see smaller roles and sometimes significantly smaller ones. Yeah, it's going to be dicey in some ways. I think for sure you have to project Herder and Hunter to play fewer minutes in year uh, in year three and year two respectively than they did last year, and that's not what you want, obviously, if you're a young player. At the same time, and I preach this forever on my podcast and other places, the Hawks were always going to make some additions on the wing and at sort of the com- uh, at maybe the forward spots this offseason. This is not a surprise. It's it's a surprise in how much they added and have and having both Bogdanovich and Gallinari, but they were always going to do something on the wing. I've been telling people this for a long time. Just because a team has their core in place, quote unquote, does not mean those guys all stay on the team forever. Nor does it mean that those guys all end up being starters, etc. So, I think I was already damping down expectations a little bit for those guys because you know the Hawks just made it clear they were trying to win in the near future. Now for Herder and Hunter specifically, Herder I think for me is the guy that you circle almost the most because Bogdanovich is a shooting guard by trade. I think he can obviously play a little bit of the three, but Herder is more of a one position player. He's more of a pure two. Hunter is a little bit um, more versatile playing the three and the four even though it's very crowded there, but they invested so much and Hunter in a deal they probably overpaid for, but they did. This same front office invested a ton in DeAndre Hunter a year ago, so I think they're going to probably give him a chance to at least play some. But yeah, those guys' roles are definitely going to be smaller, and uh, again, if you're Lloyd Pierce, you have 10, 11, maybe even 12 guys who all have to get minutes, and that's really hard. Yeah, there's definitely 11 guys who are yeah, absolute rotation guys in the NBA, and running an 11-man rotation is a hard thing to do. And then that's not including someone like Tony Snell, who um, has shown that he can hit a shot. And that's something that's useful as well to, to plenty of teams. So that, that would be the, the 12th guy there. Now, last question is, they brought Nate McMillan in as an assistant coach, who's had some levels of success with a real ceiling on what he can do, though, in Indiana. 
Um, how much pressure is on Lloyd Pierce here to deal with these uh, egos, emotions, rotations? It feels, and it's not, it doesn't always happen this way, but it does feel like that Nate McMillan's just there, just with the, just with a hand, just resting on the shoulders. Like, mate, I'm here to help, but I'm also not because I'm ready to take over as soon as they tell me. I think it's a little bit overblown. I know why, because you have a guy with experience, but the Hawks had a coaching spot come open when Greg Foster left for a promotion with the Pacers, and that's when they added Lloyd Pierce. That's when they added Nate McMillan, I should say. So that was not necessarily a push out. Um, He got a promotion, et cetera. At the same time, I totally get it, and it's not necessarily great news for Lloyd Pierce because you know there were already rumblings last year. How much you want to believe that is up to you, I suppose, about him having some friction with Trey Young, dating back to January, and if you're the GM, if you're Travis Schlank and the president of basketball operations, if you made all these investments and you're not winning early on, naturally the way to save your own, save your own job really is to look at maybe moving off from the head coach. Now Pierce is well-respected. He had a great off season in terms of just like being well-regarded around the league. Everyone seems to like Lloyd Pierce in a big way. I count myself among that. I think he's a really good, um, a really good person. And I think honestly, he's been underrated as a coach, but now it's different. They have to go out and win and there'll be expectation for the first time. So if he struggles, having McMillan there could make it a little bit easier. I think that the heat maybe is a little bit overblown on Lloyd Pierce, but with all the all, all these investments and an owner that likes to be involved, I think it wouldn't be stunning if they got up to a slow start if he gets to be in some trouble. Yeah, he's absolutely one to watch. And this Hawks team, he's going to be one of the teams to watch in the early portion of the season to see how all these new additions look, how the rotations look, how the coaching looks. There's so much to look at with Atlanta. And of course, Brad, you'll have it covered for us all over on Locked on Hawks. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. My pleasure. Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever is back with eight, 18, 18 flavors, but six new ones. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. That joins the roster of the original 12 flavors, which includes German chocolate, raspberry, peanut butter, and banana bread. Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew. It is great for the health-conscious guy who is looking to lose weight or to maintain their current weight and doing it with a delicious treat. The bars are low calorie, they're low sugar, high in protein and high in fiber. For example, the new one, the cookies and cream bar, my favorite one, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories with four grams of sugar and just four grams of net carbs. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. So use the promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Clippers podcast, Charles Mockler, is here with me. The Clippers, they made a move today, but that's not really why we're here to talk, Charles. But we'll touch on it quickly. Nick Batum has been waived by the Charlotte Hornets. He looked like he will uh, sign with the Clippers. Um, A guy that can still pass um, was obviously checked out in Charlotte, but I think it's it's a pretty strong piece. And he should be a rotation guy for the Clippers, I would imagine. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what he has left in the tank. I guess you're right, you know, kind of mentally... You know, he had some healthy scratches when he was in Charlotte last year, which is kind of baffling. Um, So, you know, he's not going to be asked to do a whole bunch. um, But given the depth that was out there uh, for what the Clippers need um, for that, you know, three spot, I think that was it was as close to as good as we were going to do. And if it's not as good as we were going to do, it's not that big a difference, you know. Yeah, look, the Clippers team... Their rotation is—it's a little iffy in terms of just how many guys mm-hmm. they've got as rotation players. Like you can find nine guys, and that includes Patrick Patterson. Yeah, the, the, who the tenth guy is there might be a little bit up for grabs. They just—they signed Kai Bowman, uh, Terrence Mann could be in that mix, but there's no absolute no-brainer uh, guy that, that's, that's slotting into that role. So just getting some extra depth, I think, is really key for this squad because they did suffer some losses. We know. 
They traded away Landry Shamit. They replaced him with Luke Kennard. Hopefully, his knees are ready to go. They lost Jermichael Green. They replaced him with not really anybody. I guess that's the Nick Batum signing there. <laughs> and then the big one, of course, is the change at center. Montrez Harrell goes across to the Lakers. Serge Ibaka comes in. So it's a good recovery from the Clippers. But what I want to talk to you here is... How does this change the fortunes of these teams? Because we, maybe unfairly, a lot of the blame for last year was uh, was brought upon Rivers and Harrell and Rivers' insistence on playing Harrell, which we talked about many, many times on oh, this yes. show. So Rivers isn't there, so he can't play Harrell. Lou can't play Harrell because Harrell's not there. We've got Serge Ibaka in there now. So is this an upgrade despite Harrell winning sixth man of the year? In terms of what the team's ultimate goal is, it definitely is an upgrade. You know, um, Serge is a guy who can play four or five. You can he can shoot. Um, you know, we have to assume uh, he will be a bit of a def- better defender than Trez, especially against bigger guys, because um, just that pedigree is there. So it's a it's an upgrade in the postseason, one hundred percent. The lug one of the luxuries of Montrez Harrell, though, is that the man uh, does not get hurt and soaks up regular season minutes very well. Doc would play him almost entire second halves a lot of the time. So what the Lakers are getting is a guy who's going to soak up a bunch of minutes in the regular season, which they'll need. I mean, you know, any team needs it. Um, And what the Clippers got is a guy who makes their playoff rotation, I think, a lot better than what it was last season. Now, this is an interesting number that I saw, and people will be surprised at this. Uh, Montrez Harrell had a higher block rate than Serge Ibaka last season. So Serge is not that guy that's, <laughs> yeah. that's blocking three shots per game that he was with the Thunder. It has fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen. That doesn't mean that he's a worse defender than Montrez Harrell because he's not. But that idea of Serge Ibaka being this guy that just blocks everything in sight is just not who he is anymore. So you know what what is he doing better defensively then than, uh, than Montrez Harrell? He's just going to be able to move better. Um the thing that's difficult is, you know, a lot of that stuff that happened with um, Trez in the playoffs was because a lot of it was Doc's fault, right? You put someone in a bad enough position enough times, things are, you know, probably aren't going to go as well as they should. So Abaka can guard, uh, you know, smaller guys. He's a lot more just imposing, you know, he's not a small center. He's an actual sized center. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's going to be good to see. And on the offensive side of the ball, he's going to open up a lot of pick and pop situations. I mean, the screens that we might see with zoo, um, and the on the floor are going to be devastating. So it opens up a lot more offensively than maybe defensively, I think, but it still is an upgrade defensively for sure. Now, Serge Ibaka went real three-point happy at times in the last few years in Oklahoma, in Orlando, but the last couple of seasons in Toronto, his three-point attempt rate had dropped down and went down to, was at 27% last year, but it was at 19 the year before. He did play a little bit closer to the basket. Is there any indication of how Lou might look to use him? Will they look to push him back out to be a, a real threat from the outside, or will he be playing more of that traditional uh, Zubax-type uh, role in you know, setting screens and playing a lot closer to the basket? I think, you know, I mean, hey, I wish I knew what the team system was, offensive system was going to look like, but I guess we will, what, two or three days or something like that with training camp opening up. Yep. Um, I think, you know, the second unit is kind of remade, right? Like, you know, Kennard is in there. Reggie Jackson's still not really sure if he's going to be with the team or not. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of starts just in the traditional center role, just getting used to everything, because all the players are getting used to a new system. And then with how much tinkering Ty Lu seems to enjoy doing, getting peppered in, you know, maybe at the four sometimes or something like that. Um, I'm hoping to see kind of a little bit of both. Um, I want to see Ty Lue 
you know, we now have a coach who's going to throw some more things to the wall and see what sticks. So I'm mostly excited for that. I hope it's a little mix of both. Did this team get better? Playoff wise, it did get better. And I think regular season wise, you know, if the the health bug doesn't do what it did to us last season, I think um, it got better. You know, it still was, you know, the two seed in the West. Um, only really place to go is up from there is number one. But I think the team did get better. The Batum signing maybe doesn't move the needle that much, but I think the other, you know, the Shamit to Canard or Canard to Shamit is an upgrade. Um, Surge to Trez is an upgrade. Um, or excuse me, reverse that. But the big question will be what happens with losing Jamichael because we couldn't really find a replacement for him. So time will tell with that. Yeah, that, that's a good point because, yeah, Jamichael Green isn't being replaced. Patrick Patterson's going to have to step into that role. And I don't think Patrick Patterson's still got it. I think he's, uh, I think he's, past, <laughs> I think he's past his prime from where he was. So that, that could be an issue. I'm glad you brought up the Luke Canard. Actually, before we get to Luke Canard, Marcus Morris is back on this team. Now, he was poor in the regular season when he came across, but he stepped it up in the playoffs. But getting, I'm going to say a full off-season, whatever this is, a full off-season preseason, <laughs> yeah. a full off-season 2020 style, I think helps him acclimatize with the team. But the Luke Canard one's interesting because Detroit, Gave up four second-round picks to get out of the Luke Kennard business, and he missed a bunch of time with uh, bilateral knee tendonitis last year, which is not a good sign. I agree with you that he is, if healthy, a significant upgrade on Landry Shamit, but we have to have some worries about his knee or knees. I mean, it, it, yeah, right? It's because it's knees because it's somehow in both knees. Um, the poor guy's playing with maybe the worst knee injury you can consistently have for basketball. You know, it hurt so bad. Like you said, it limited to not that many games last season. But I think the Clippers did their due diligence. He's a guy that um, Lawrence Frank has liked for a while. But I think those first round pick or those second round picks were absolutely thrown in as kind of a sweetener for the deal because, you know, I mean, if there's if there's still, you know, nagging issues there, then the second rotation, you know, the second uh, line backcourt becomes a legitimate issue. Absolutely, it does. But this team is going to be intriguing. Let's see how they deal with no Harrell. Let's see how they deal with that backcourt change. Let's see what a new coach looks like in Ty Lu. Charles, you'll have it for us all over on Locked On Clippers as uh, they look to push themselves into a Western Conference and then NBA Finals in this 2020-2021 season. Yes, let's hope, uh, you know, if it ends like it did last year, let's hope it's a little less embarrassing this time. Let's now bring in the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast, Kane Pittman, is here. Milwaukee started things off with a bang, Kane, uh, trading for Drew Holiday, allegedly trading for Bogdan Bogdanovic. Uh, then that went sideways. And then uh, there's a lot of things that didn't seem to go right for the Bucks. Criticisms of some of their salary cap and CBA machinations in terms of you know, giving wrong contracts out, allegedly, to guys like Pat Connaughton, just throwing player options out to players who probably aren't in a position to demand them. And, of course, not ending up with Bogdan Bogdanovic. So, while it started off so, so rosy with the Drew Holiday acquisition, was the Bucks off-season a win or a loss? Well, it's still to be determined because I think uh, all Bucks fans are still waiting to see what Giannis does. I think as we record this, he's still on a flight back to the U.S., uh, we certainly didn't expect, and, and everything that I've heard from within the organization, that th there probably wasn't going to be an announcement before he got back to America. So I don't think that it's a surprise uh, that we haven't heard anything yet. But that will ultimately determine whether the offseason is a success or not. If you get him to sign an extension, then really everything else, it doesn't really matter that much. They've been able to get their guys. So uh, all this plays into whether or not he would want to stay around. He's been pretty public with uh, his thoughts that he wanted the franchise to uh, take steps 
in the right direction to get better. Uh, you can question whether they have done that or not or the method uh, that went behind the moves that they made. But I do think uh, on the court, I, I think that their roster is better than it was last season. And I think it's simply by virtue of adding Drew uh, Holiday and uh, replacing Eric Bledsoe. Well, Drew Holiday is an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. There's no doubt about that. But they do lose Wes Matthews. Uh, he'll most likely be replaced by Dante DiVincenzo. They brought in Bryn Forbes, who is not that good. They brought in DJ Augustin, who is a solid and capable backup point guard. I think that's a pretty strong move for this team. And then uh, a weird one to me, bringing in Bobby Portis. Uh, I'm not really sure. I guess it's to take Robin Lopez's backup center minutes. They lose Ersan Ilyasova as well in this setup. So yeah, these guys that came in, I wasn't a massive fan of re-signing Connaughton yeah, bringing in Augustin and Forbes and Portis. Do you, can you see a way that they could work in this system? Because Portis is one of the worst defensive big men in the NBA, and the Bucks have prided themselves on having this really solid defense. Yeah, we got the chance to speak with Bucks GM John Horst just prior to the NBA draft, and the one thing that he said he wanted to add to the roster was shooting, because we know the Bucks uh, they had this let it fly mantra, and they've they've shot a lot of threes, but they haven't necessarily been good at it. So I think they were they were below average. They might have ranked around the 20th uh, in the league for three-point percentage last year, and they've really, really struggled in the postseason. So certainly I think there's question marks over some of those players, in particular uh, Bryn Forbes and probably Bobby Portis. How much can you play them in the postseason? I'm not 100% sure, but there's no doubt for mine that the goal of this offseason and with the guys that they brought in, uh, they wanted players that they think are going to be higher caliber shooters than the guys they've had on the roster. So with Holiday, uh, Forbes, and also Augustine, all three of those guys have shot greater than 38% in their playoff careers. Uh, the Bucks haven't had anyone outside of Chris Milton that's been anywhere near that uh, over the last two postseasons. So I think that that's what they were looking for. Whether or not it works out, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that that's the thinking behind it. Bryn Forbes started out last season with some pretty poor shooting numbers, but mm. he ended up being a 39% three-point shooter last year. And in the post-All-Star break period, it was just nine games, he was at 47% from three, and he was routinely going at 40% for you know, a couple of those final months of the season. So really turned it around back to where he was in terms of his shooting. Now, he doesn't provide too much else, but when you've got the caliber of Middleton and Holiday and, of course, Yanni out there as well, like you just need those guys to produce one skill. And he's got that one skill. And it could work in that scenario, as long as he's not overstretched. Popovich at times had been playing him as a point guard, which is clearly not his game. Mm. Um, but as a guy that's playing off of Yarnia or playing off of Middleton and just knocking in threes at 40 42%, anywhere in that sort of zone, it can make sense. But with the way that the NBA has shaken out, there's been a few of these top teams, Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, that have gotten worse, I would say. Uh, Philadelphia has gotten different. Uh, maybe it's better, maybe it's worse. It probably is better with how they've done things. The Lakers, they, they've maybe gotten better on paper, but may have gotten worse on court. The Clippers have probably got worse as well. Like I know we just spoke to Charles Mockler on the show um, in terms of where they sit, but that's still a question mark. It seems like a lot of these top teams, no one really um, no one really put their stamp on as dominating the offseason. So the Bucks, I guess, failure with that Bogdanovich catastrophe maybe isn't going to be as amplified as much as it could have been. Yeah, I haven't seen any team, uh, certainly Philadelphia, who you mentioned there, I think arguably you could say has taken the biggest step forward out of these teams, and it's only by minor additions. Obviously, uh, you get uh, a boost simply by uh, removing Al Horford from that lineup, but also 
I think the addition of Seth Curry will be huge for Philadelphia. But as far as the Bucks go, I think that it's been ugly the way that the last two postseasons have finished, particularly losing four straight to Toronto. And then we know what happened in the bubble with Miami, which, by the way, the Bucks were never uh, the team that we were used to seeing during the regular season, even prior to the postseason in, at Disney. They just weren't the same team. I'm not sure why that was the case. I'm not sure why they didn't come back and look anything like they did prior to that. But I think the question for them will be, who's going to get, provide the boost in the postseason? Because those series, even though I know it was a five-game series against Miami, obviously they lost Giannis towards the end. But those games early in the series were very close. And that they were very close down the stretch. So for the Bucks, it's how do you uh, fill that closing lineup? So Drew Holiday, you just have to look at the stats for Eric Bledsoe in the uh, series against Miami and the series against Toronto. He's averaged 10 points per game on 31% from the field and 18% from three. So yes, Eric Bledsoe is a terrific player, two-time All-NBA defense the last uh, couple of years. But he has been absolutely unplayable in the postseason. And he is supposed to be your third best player. So the Bucs adding Drew Holiday to that closing lineup will be big. And DiVincenzo, the guy that you mentioned, just prior to the season shutting down, his true shooting percentage in uh, the new year, so January, February, and March, was well above 60%. He looked like he was morphing into this bench scorer that the Bucs need. We know what he does defensively. But the three-point shot was finding some consistency. He was finishing at the rim at a high level where he's been erratic in the past. Again, he didn't return to be the same guy, but if he is someone that takes a step, then he fills that spot, as you said, that Wesley Matthews took and becomes a more versatile offensive player. So that's what the Bucks are hoping for. Nothing is for certain. I don't think that they've made any moves that guarantees them a part to the NBA Finals, but I think there is uh, some uh, aspect of what they've been able to do that should give them more confidence. Yeah, the, the DiVincenzo step up is going to be important because he, ha- he came in with a reputation as, as a high-level three-point shooter, and that hasn't really translated into the NBA just yet. Like, his two-point shooting was good. His defensive stuff was really good, but the threes haven't really come along, and that could be a, a real key. And as much as you don't want your season to rely upon Dante DiVincenzo becoming mm. a good shooter, maybe it does with this team because everything else is in place, and that's just yet going from a really solid rotation bench piece to being a you know, solid above average to very good starter. That might be all they need to take themselves a little bit further in the playoffs than they've been the last couple of seasons. Of course, Kane, you're going to have it all for us covered on Locked On Bucks over the offseason, the preseason, the regular season, the playoffs, <laughs> and maybe all the way through to the NBA Finals. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, anytime. Always good to catch up with you, Josh.